You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God has so much more for you than just being a Christian. There's so much more to being a Christian than just being saved. Being saved is first and foremost. Don't get me wrong. We need salvation through Jesus Christ. We all want to spend eternity with Him. But man, that's just the tip of the beautiful iceberg. That's the tip of the cherry on top. That's a beautiful thing. You've heard me say all this in salvation too. We've gotten so many beloved gifts from God. The gifts that continue to flow for us that God wants us to have wants us to take, and they're ours for the taking. Did you know that salvation in Christ is not the end goal for a Christian? God has so much more for His children than just surviving. Pastor Dave encourages us that being saved is just the tip of the beautiful iceberg. The Israelites in the time of Nehemiah struggled to see that victory. God wants so much more for you today and forever. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 as he begins his message, Introduction. Nehemiah chapter 1, right after Ezra is the book of Nehemiah. If you get to Esther, you've gone too far. So it's the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm calling this an introduction. And Nehemiah caring and determined. Nehemiah caring and determined. Shall we pray? Gracious Father, I ask Lord now that as we've worshipped you, Father, that you would settle our hearts. Father, that you would just help us, Lord, as to uh, it comes to your word. Help us, Lord, to be good students of your word. Help us, Lord, to decipher your word and look at it. And help us, Lord, to bring it close to our heart, Father God. How we love your word. And we're excited about starting this book of Nehemiah. It's a very important book, a very timely book. And Lord, it's a book that is going to teach us many things about leadership, about prayer, about being together as one and and doing the things that you've called us to do, Lord. So I thank you for this time, Lord. Bless these saints that have come out. Bless those who are watching on Facebook and YouTube. May your love continue to flow forth even through the airways, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We come now to this book of Nehemiah. The year is 445 B.C., It has been 90 some odd years since the prophecy of Jeremiah was fulfilled and the first group of survivors left Babylon. Remember, they were led by Zerubbabel and they came from Babylon and they settled in Jerusalem and they were given the charge to rebuild the temple. So it's been 90 years now since that call went forth. It's been approximately 15 years since the end of the book of Ezra. Just to give you a timeline as to where we are, some 400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. If you add all this to the fall of Jerusalem and the 70 years of captivity, the holy city of Jerusalem has now been in disrepair for over 150 years. God's holy city, the city that he loved so much. So we come to the first two verses in Nehemiah, and we are introduced to him right off the bat. 
Verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in this 20th year, as I, Nehemiah's writing, was in Sushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. Nehemiah introduces himself and the date of the writing of his prophecy. The 20th year of what? It's the 20th year of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Now this would be Artaxerxes Longamanus. A side point here. Does anybody know who is his stepmother? Esther. Esther is Artaxerxes Longamanus' stepmother. So it's the 20 year of the reign of Artaxerxes. It's in the month of Chislev that the words of Nehemiah, which are written somewhere in the palace of Susa or Sushan, they're the same thing. It happens to be the capital of the Persian Empire. We later find out why Nehemiah is in the palace. Nehemiah is a Hebrew. He is a Jew. Another aside, the months of Chislev runs from mid-November to mid-December on our calendar. So this is what we're talking about. So Nehemiah's brother... Hanani, and we know it's his brother because in chapter 7, verse 2, it calls him his brother. And some of the men come back from Judea, and Nehemiah asks about the survivors in Jerusalem. And the news that Nehemiah gets is not good. Look at verses 3 and 4. And then they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the providence are in the great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. The news Nehemiah gets about the city of Jerusalem is not good. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. This happened when Nebuchadnezzar Years and years before, about 150 years before, came in and sacked the city and took people captive to Babylon. It wasn't encouraging news. The people were called survivors. This is not a very good term for people. They're just surviving. They're just there hanging on by a thread. They're in great distress. They're in great reproach. The walls of the city itself were broken down and all the gates had been burned with fire. This is a bad state for the people. And it's a bad state for the city walls, which were intimately collected in the ancient world. A city without walls around it was vulnerable to attacks by anybody. They had to have walls around their city so that they keep predators and other nations out from coming in and sacking them. The city was completely open and vulnerable to its animal enemies. They had no defense whatsoever. An unwalled city was like a backwater town with nothing valuable in it. If there was anything valuable in it, the people came in and took it right out because there was nothing to stop them. Those living in this unwalled city lived in constant fear, constant tension, worried about who was going to come and take them out. They never knew when they were going to be attacked or when they were going to be brutalized. Every man lived in constant fear for his wife and his children. Can you imagine Constantly waking up and wondering what if that day was going to come when a nation would rise up against you and come in and just take everything you own and possibly take your life as well. The temple could be rebuilt, but it was never made beautiful. 
because everything that was of value was easily taken and taken away. No wonder the people were in constant distress, in constant disgrace or reproach. They lived as survivors, eking out a meager existence, trying to get by. God has so much more for his children than just being survivors. God has so much more for you than just being a Christian. There's so much more to being a Christian than just being saved. Being saved is first and foremost. Don't get me wrong. We need salvation through Jesus Christ. We all want to spend eternity with him. But man, that's just the tip of the beautiful iceberg. That's the tip of the cherry on top. That's a beautiful thing. You've heard me say all this in salvation too. We've gotten so many beloved gifts from God, the gifts that continue to flow for us that God wants us to have, wants us to take, and they're ours for the taking. That's what is more than just being a survivor. God wants us to be conquerors. We've been conquerors through him who's called us and loved us, it says in Romans 8, 37. And I don't believe God wants us to just be survivors. What does it say in John 10, 10? I have come that you might have life and what? Life more abundantly. Well, what does that mean? It means more than just eking out a meager existence here while we wait for the Lord. It means living in the abundant life. And there's a contrast being made here. There's a contrast being made with the religious systems and Christianity. You know, they rank Christianity as a religious system. And you look at it and you compare it to other things. But the basic difference lies that religion are man's endeavors to get to God. The religion, or the religious box that I like to call it, is man's way to get to God. The religious system is man's trying to build a bridge to God. But no matter how many ways you stretch and how many you reach up and how many times you build a bridge, you cannot build a bridge from the finite to the infinite. You can't do it. You can't build that bridge. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. Christianity is God's endeavor to reach man. Christianity is God reaching down to man. And Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau. And he came to Bethel. And he found a rock and he used it as a pillow. Because he was exhausted, he went to sleep. And while he was sleeping, he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a ladder. And it was planted on earth and it went up to heaven. And the Lord was standing at the top of the ladder. And the angels of God were ascending and descending up and back of the ladder. You know it is Jacob's ladder. And when he awoke in the morning, he was filled with a sense of awe. And he said, truly, the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. Last night, when I arrived here, frightened, tired, weary, sore, I had no conscience of the presence of God. A barren, rocky, desolate place. I knew it not. But I know it now. Truly, the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. You can read that in Genesis 28, 16. Notice the tenses. The Lord is here. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. The ladder between heaven and earth is Jesus Christ. He is the ladder. He is the one that goes between. Now the religion tries to build that ladder from earth to reach up to God. The finite, trying to reach the infinite. But Christianity, the infinite has reached down to the finite. I can accept the infinite can reach down and touch the finite, and there's no problem for an infinite God. There's no problem. So with Christianity, I have no problem at all with religion. I have tremendous problems because I have a finite trying to reach the infinite. How can this happen? It can. It can. God has called us to an abundant life. Jesus even declared to his disciples, you're going to marvel at this just because I saw you in a fig tree. Stick around. You're going to see a lot more, he said to Nathaniel. From now on, you're going to see the heavens open up and angels of heaven ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm Jacob's ladder. 
I'm the access to God. You're going to see heaven open up for a man, for God is reaching down to you. God is building the ladder, and I am the ladder that God has made, where man might come right by God. The difference is huge between Christianity and religion. The religious system will rob a man. They'll destroy a man, for his Christianity will bring a man life, and more abundantly. The religious systems only bring death, because you keep trying and trying and trying and trying, and you never reach God. Because no matter how hard you try, you cannot reach the infinite. All the works you do will not be accepted by God. And they have all these little work trips that you accomplish in order that you might be accepted by God. And that's wrong. Christianity says there's not a single work that you can do that God would accept it. Isaiah called it all what? Filthy rags. My righteousness is its filthy rags. Not my works of righteousness, which I've done through, by faith, will be accepted by God. Religions say you have to be good enough and worthy enough for God. Christianity says there's no way you can be good enough or worthy enough that God will accept you. You have to accept his son, Jesus Christ. The son has life. He who has the son has life. I got hung up on that because we're not just survivors here. We're not just merely surviving. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and more abundantly. Satan has lied to us from the beginning. He makes a joke out of Christianity. God wants us to be more survivors. He wants us to be overcomers. So the news breaks Nehemiah's heart. The news breaks Nehemiah's heart. So when it was, I heard these words that I sat down, wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. You know, what's interesting here is Nehemiah was born in captivity. Nehemiah was born into captivity. He's never seen Jerusalem. He's never seen the temple, but in his heart, he identifies with Jerusalem. In his heart, he identifies with Jerusalem and the temple. And it is interesting, it seems like Nehemiah and the other captives took the word of the Lord seriously, specifically in Psalm 137, in verses 5 and 6. It says, well, I'll read 4, 5, and 6. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, Lord, O Lord, remember. They sang these songs in captivity. They were aware of Jerusalem. They were aware of God's call on their life to Jerusalem. It's almost like God has stamped on each Jewish person's head, and heart, a love for Jerusalem. There's this built-in love for Jerusalem that they have because it's his holy city. And we as Christians as well should have a love for Jerusalem. What does the scripture tell us? To pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Anybody know the last sentence at a Seder? Anybody know the last sentence of a Seder? They all sit around after the Seder meal and they go, this year here, next year, Jerusalem, the last words at a Seder. Every Jewish person wants to be in Jerusalem. And they're going back by droves right now. God is calling them back according to prophecy. The city has a natural charm. It has an aura about it, unlike any city you've ever been to. And when you're walking through the streets, you get a feeling, and it almost brings you to tears as you walk through the streets. And if you want a real joy, see it for the first time. 
see it for the first time. We were coming out of the Galilee region on a bus. And all roads lead to Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is high. And we're making the long trek from the Sea of Galilee up towards Jerusalem. And we're all on a bus, and we're in the Judean desert. And I mean desert. It was as flat and nasty as this carpet here. There were rocks everywhere. Every now and then you'd see a Bedouin tribe and things like that. But we kept on coming up and up and up and up. And we just kept on traveling. It seemed like it was taking forever. And all of a sudden, our guide stands up. He says, Everybody look out the windows. And we're right almost the crest of the hill. And he, all of a sudden we hear this musical. And you hear, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And we crest the hill. And there it is. There's the city of Jerusalem right there. And you're looking down at it. And I don't think there was a dry eye on the bus. Everybody just went, oh my gosh, there it was. To see it, it is miraculous. There's something special about the city. Nehemiah had that in his heart. Nehemiah had that in his heart. What is it? It's the presence of the Lord. God himself said he would never take his eyes off of Jerusalem. And it seems to be the desire and dream of everyone, Jewish and Christian, to go to Jerusalem. But Nehemiah had a true heart for the people of Jerusalem. Listen again what it says. When I heard the news, when I heard what words, that they were in distress, that they were in reproach, that things were having a problem, I sat down and wept and mourned for many, many days. This really broke Nehemiah's heart. Why? Because Nehemiah cared. He had a caring heart, not just superficially, but truly. He had a heart for the people of Jerusalem, God's heart. He was a true leader with this heart. He cared enough about the people's plot and plight to cry over them, to weep over them. Nehemiah's name means the Lord has comforted. And I like John Corson. John Corson says this, quote, Nehemiah paints a wonderful picture of the true comforter from God, the Holy Spirit, who wants to rebuild and restore the walls that have been torn down by sin and the gates that have been burned by rebellion, unquote. When Nehemiah heard the condition of those who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, how they were discouraged and demoralized from the immensity of the task, he sat down and he wept. I just love this guy's heart. Here he is weeping for people that he doesn't even No. Nehemiah weeps. He cries for them. He cries for them because his people are in trouble. His people are hurting. How long has it been since you've wept over somebody else's problems? Oh, how I wish we were people who would weep for each other, especially the sin of others, how we would weep for them and get on our knees. We really need to take problems to heart and think about what God is doing. Do we agonize over others in prayer? Do we really agonize over them? I'm guilty as the next person. Listen, I'm not trying to stand up here and point at you. I'm just as guilty as the next person. Paul said something like this in Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 2, in verse 4, he says this. For Paul, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. The apostle Paul was this way. He agonized over the Corinthian church because of their wrongdoing, because they were in trouble. Paul agonized. Look at what else he says in Acts 20. In Acts 20, verse 31, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears, with tears. Are you driven to tears by someone who is stuck in sin? 
Are you driven to tears by someone who has faded away, someone who has gone astray? Are you driven by tears over that person? Or maybe you see someone walking down the street and all of a sudden your heart just breaks for that person. Your heart just melts for that person. You're driven to tears over that person's plight. Burden move you to tears. And then it should move you to pray. After you've been moved to tears, it should move you to pray. Nehemiah was caring and he wept about the condition of the people in Israel. But he was also determined. He had a determination in him and he was determined to do something about it. Nehemiah did more than cry about it. He prayed about it. Not only was Nehemiah caring, but he was determined, as I said. He knew God would do something. He knew that God would do something about the problem in Jerusalem because he knew how God felt about the holy city. So in verse 4b, he says, I was fasting and praying before God of heaven. So it was then when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He prayed over the conditions of the people. He prayed over their plight. We need to be people of prayer. Paul is a great example for us, as I showed you. He prayed for the Ephesian elders. He prayed for the church of Ephesus. How many times do you read, never ceasing to make mention of you in my prayers, he begins his epistles with as he talks to these people. We should be people of prayer. Why? Because we are in intense spiritual warfare. And our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds of the enemy. Prayer is the deciding factor in the spiritual battle. And that is why Satan fights so hard to keep you from praying. Prayer can change this battle for you. We are called to pray. God's army moves on his knees. Not only did Nehemiah pray, but he fasted. God was going to use Nehemiah to do something about this situation But in order for this to happen, God had to do something in Nehemiah. God had called him, and he was going to use them, but he had to do something in Nehemiah. And I believe that this is what God does. God calls you to a ministry, and then he prepares you for that ministry by doing something in you. Working in you. And I see this all the time. I love what Guzik says about this. Quote, Any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. One of my favorite scriptures, I keep going back to it. I love it. And I keep going back for a while. 2 Chronicles 16 in verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is always looking for a heart he can use. Always looking for someone that he can fill with the Holy Spirit, that he can anoint with power and bring to the point where they will do something for him. He has a work for you to do, but then he has to do a work in you to get you ready for that work. Are you available? We like to call it fat. Faithful, available, and teachable. Are you those things? Are you available if God calls? You are assured. Thank you for joining us today for A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been digging into the book of Nehemiah. This book chronicles the adventures of Nehemiah as he goes from being a cupbearer to a foreign king to leading people as they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. When he hears about the city lying in ruins, vulnerable to the world around it, Nehemiah was troubled and he prayed. 
When his moment came with the king offering him anything he wanted, Nehemiah knew first to run to the Lord in prayer. No matter who was on the throne in the world, Nehemiah knew that God remains on the throne of heaven and he maintains control over all of it. What's troubling your heart today? All you need to do is remember that God is God over all. Take your troubles to him today. Here at Assure Hope, we would love to bring you to the Lord in prayer as well. Give us a call at 609-884-5821 and share your prayer requests with us. Once again, that number is 609-884-5821. We look forward to your call. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Are you in the area? We'd love to see you this Sunday. Head on over to AssureHopeRadio.com to find our location and service times. Once again, that website is AssureHopeRadio.com. Well, that's all we have for now. We're so glad you decided to spend time with us here today. We'll be back soon with more right here on Assure Hope.